Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda and Danny Abdeljabar. What's up, Danny? How are you? Chilling, man, as per usual. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. So, allegedly, um, I may be. So, allegedly, um, I have been putting things in the freezer, like in the movie Step Brothers. You know, you ever see Step Brothers? Yeah, but I don't remember this. What, so, have you, what exactly have you been putting in the so, freezer? So, all right, let me, let me pull this back. So, my girlfriend is like, there was a bag, one of my girlfriend's bags found in the freezer the other day. Like a, like a purse? Yeah. Why? And I'm not sure. No one knows. <laughs> and the net, the following day, there was a towel in the freezer. So I'm the main culprit. I am the suspect of this, obviously. Do, do you or have you I am ever... the only suspect. <laughs> I am the only suspect in this case. Do you or have you ever suffered from sleepwalking? No, I don't recall. But I think maybe I may be pulling a, uh, a Dale and uh, Brandon. Brandon? Is, that, is Dale and Brandon, right? And Step uh-huh. Brothers? Dude, I think you should set up. Some, like, I think cameras. I might be I think doing you should that. Set up some cameras, dude. We I, we need to see. Am I waking up in the middle of the night and throwing things in the freezer? <laughs> it's either that or you have a ghost, you know, but a ghost that does weird shit. Yeah, who just like tries to get me in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's the ghost. So it's like, oh, actually, the, ghost, the ghost is like we have in a ghost, deeply in love thing- with. It. The, the only with your girlfriend. <laughs> the only thing the ghost does is leave the the toilet seat up, and uh, you know he, he drops some pee on the floor sometimes, <laughs> and he he won't close the trash can. <laughs> but, yeah, he'll take the dishes. That's what I should. Every single time I mess something up, I do something incorrect. Um, I'm just gonna blame it on a ghost. Yep, the ghost that's putting the the bag in the fridge. The, the ghost. The ghost. Well, it has to. It's either it's, it's either a ghost. ghost or or myself, but. If a let's just say if uh, you know someone leaves a doesn't do a a complete job on a on a dirty fork or doesn't clean clean it all the way, blame it on a ghost. Who's the ghost? The ghost. The ghost must have used it. Um, but what's up, guys? Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode. Um, so this is sort of I guess a part two to, to yep. last episode. Um, yeah, definitely. Not to say that well. I guess we have no idea how the content's going to turn out as of right now, but um, <laughs> I would encourage you, um, if you're listening for the first time, yeah, listen to this episode, but um, you may feel yeah, a little you might, lost you might wanna. <laughs> if you didn't listen to the the, the, the episode um, prior. 
mm-hmm. about the origins of Al Qaeda, the rise of Al Qaeda. So I would encourage you to uh, to listen to that episode, but um, you know, listen to this one as well. Uh, if, you know, if you just want the the details on this. But I, I guess to give you a a quick recap, um, last episode, Danny and I we concentrated on the really just the rise of Al Qaeda um, out of Afghanistan, out of the Mujahideen, and how the um, CIA created had a covert relationship with radical Islamists, uh, along with Saudi Arabia and the Pakistan, to create these, you know, quote unquote, freedom fighters to fight the Soviet Union. And out of that nexus came Al Qaeda, like Al Qaeda, that was the birth of Al Qaeda. And um, it's Operation Cyclone. And these are the guys who went on to, uh, you know, eventually, you know, commit the worst terrorist attacks in American history, but not only September 11th, but the World Trade Center bombing in, in, in 1993, along with countless other terrorist attacks. Mm-hmm. But and they foiled came, ones, too. Yeah. I mean, they came from, you know, our our intelligence, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, so, is there anything I'm missing, or should we... No, I think, you know, what's what's interesting about this is that this story is extremely thick with, like, two Cs. So if you haven't already heard the last episode, you, you maybe might want to go back because there's going to be a lot of names, a lot of people. There's a lot of... It's like, it's worse than Game of Thrones. You know, there's way too many characters. Um, so we'll try our best to, like, uh, as we introduce these characters for this go-around, uh, we'll try our best to remind you of who they are and why they're important, but... Um, maybe brush up on that also uh i think it's important to kind of point out that we did focus kind of on the uh timeline of events from like the late 70s through you know the world trade center bombing as was laid out by peter lance's work and the triple cross timeline um which i believe in our last podcast we put in the notes uh the link to that if you want to read along um that might be helpful um but uh yeah i think that's pretty much the only thing we, we missed out on yeah, uh, good call. But I mean, let's just start with the World Trade Center bombing, um, yeah. which sounds terrible when you say it so casually. Let's just start with a bombing. So we ended the last episode talking about the, the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. Um, this was this took place on February 26, on 1993. A group mm-hmm. of terrorists attempted to topple the World Trade Center with explosives in a rider truck in a underground parking garage mm-hmm. and the organizers of that were were a guy named ranzi youssef who was the head guy um you had muhammad salome who was one of ali muhammad's trainings ali muhammad is a um basically he's a fbi informant slash uh intelligence op a double agent working for you know radical islamist groups along with our intelligence agencies at the same right. time mm-hmm. um and then there was also uh mamun abu abu yeah. lima mm-hmm. uh, another um, another ali muhammad trainee who was the getaway driver for the murder of rabbi kahani yeah, I mean, he was like the terrorist Uber driver for sure. Like, he did a lot of driving. Like, he picked up all of the, the you know, folks from the airport. Like, he was like the, the main driver guy. Yeah, he sure. was he was the, the Mark Wahlberg. He was the wheel man. Yeah. 
So they kill six people. However, the plan was, as awful as that is, the plan was to actually knock the North Tower into the South Tower mm-hmm. and kill hundreds of thousands of people. Right. So it was it was supposed to be a lot bigger than it actually was. The scary thing is that if the bomb was placed in the right spot, they would have succeeded. Yeah, and I, th- I think uh, I want to jump in there because in our last episode, we touched on this for sure, but like I... I got a chance to do a little bit more research on that um and it's kind of phenomenal how the physics of that would have worked because it's not it, i mean first and foremost yeah if they were able to you know um compromise the structure uh of the north tower to get it to fall into the south tower it would be absolutely devastating um and that in and of itself would cause several casualties but another proponent another big part of this is that if they had detonated it uh in a critical infrastructure spot it would basically have like literally released the floodgates of the Hudson River into lower Manhattan, right? So the way that the uh, World Trade Center um, was constructed was the two towers were actually sitting in like these big concrete boxes underground because um, the whole area was like a, basically a dump, you know? Um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like, like good ground. So they set up the foundation in such a way where obviously it's a tall ass building. It has to be several stories underground in order to hold it up right um but that would mean that it's also well below uh you know sea level right along the hudson river right so these big concrete boxes that they were sitting in uh the initial plan was to actually compromise those concrete boxes right and by compromising the concrete boxes it would actually rush in you know lots and lots of tons of water you know from the hudson river which would cause the tower, of course, you know, to be compromised. It would fall over onto the other one. But another crazy part of this is that all that water would go rushing into the subway systems, right? So, you know, lower Manhattan, anyone on a subway in lower Manhattan would be, would drown in, in short order. So it would have been fucking nuts. That's, that's really crazy. So all the subway lines, so we're talking about in the financial district. Right. A, we're, C, we're talking about AC, e, 1, 2, 3. Yeah. Um, M. I don't think the Q was around at the time. The 4, the four or 5 line. 4 or 5, yeah. It would probably seep into, it would probably get into the 6 train as well, the 6 line as well, although the 6 line ends at Brooklyn Bridge. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, the J, J line. We were talking about just thousands of people on the ground drowning yep they were just it's really it's really mm-hmm. ridiculous and there's really no way out like nope. there's there's no way out of a new york city Mm-mm. subway Mm-mm. there's I mean, like the doors emergency. are like impossible to open right like have you ever tried to, like walking in between the subways right they're like i'm a pretty big guy i don't consider myself weak but there's some some pretty fucking heavy doors to open imagine now there's we're in a packed subway everyone's freaking out and now you're trying to open these doors to get out and those windows are not big enough for most people to squeeze out of either. Well, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. Like, and then once you're in the subway, then then what? You know? We also have the third rail, you know, which may or may not have, not have short-circuited. But, like, yeah, 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 you're in a tunnel. There might be access points to get out and above ground at, you know, at certain junctures. But you don't know where the fuck those are. The, the electricity will probably go out. It'll be dark as hell. And the water will rush in really quickly. You're fucked. If you're if you're in there, and so if they succeeded, it would have been, I don't know, anywhere 
it's hard to like to, to, hard to uh, estimate, speculate to estimate or speculate what the casualties would have been, but it would have been mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands if it was like really successful. Yeah. So it would have been bigger than nine eleven. Um, uh, by a lot. By yeah. by by a lot, and Ramzi Youssef, the 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 bomb maker, mm-hmm. he escapes to Pakistan afterwards. He leaves a threat letter saying that our calculations were not very accurate at this time. However, mm-hmm. we promise you that next time it will be very precise and the Trade Center will be one of our targets. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a threat that was, uh, I believe it was discovered by um, the uh, firefighter. Buka. Yeah, Buka. Randy Buka. Mm-hmm. Randy Buka was the one who discovered it. Yeah, this guy, um, Randy Buka, was actually really interesting. Just quick note on him. He was like a former Green Beret, total badass. He like fell off of a, like fell four stories and broke his back trying to save somebody in like a West Side tenement. And uh, um, basically like in short order, he was able to rejoin like the FDNY, the, the Fire Department of New York's like special, quote unquote, like their special forces team, like in, in a very short amount of time after that. He's a total badass. And he was like, he'll pop up again, I think, in this story for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But um, so after the bombing, so um, they had, there was a FBI informant named Imad Salem. So he contacts the FBI. Uh, they had already kind of let it like terminate him. They, they terminated him at this point, not killed him, but they, they stopped using him as an informant. And he called his handler up, Nancy Floyd. And he says that, that he could have prevented the attack if he was still an informant. So he tips the feds about um, Abu Lima mm-hmm. and Abu Lima and how he flees he flees to Egypt. So Egyptian police they arrest Abu Lima. He confesses that the bomb plot originated in Afghanistan among Arab veterans of the Afghan War, and he tells them that it was approved by men. I mean, who knows what the hell was was uh, was uh, true? Because he was, he was tortured for sure. He was one. He was one hundred percent tortured. But he blamed Iranian intelligence. But he also blamed uh, Sheikh Omar Abdul Rahman, blind blind Sheikh. So uh, there is probably some. You know, there could have been some. He also threw the Muslim Brotherhood in there as well, but right. You, he, Egypt could have threw in some like faulty intelligence in there as well, just for fun. You never know, because <laughs> you know he, they said Muslim Brotherhood and in Iran, who they were, they had to this day have an antagonistic relationship with. Right. So uh, who knows if it was faulty? But I mean, we know now that these guys were Al Qaeda guys. Mm-hmm. These guys were Bin Laden night and Al Qaeda, right? 100%. And it was kind of funny because going back in retrospect, in nine, like after World the World, nineteen ninety three bombing happened, um, I was obviously too young to like register it. I was four, but after um, September eleventh, there was really never that comparison to nineteen ninety three. Yeah, Do, yeah, you're right. I didn't find odd? out about the. Yeah, I didn't really find out too much about the World Trade Center bombing until like later, later in life. Like well after there was that reference i didn't learn about it until after 9 11. yeah me too it was referenced like oh isn't it weird like it was bombed before but like it was it was by a totally different crazy islamist group it wasn't by the one who did it right now this place is just such a hot target what really yeah exactly yeah it was like such a hot target 
because mm-hmm. they compare it. They didn't compare it to to ninety three bombing. They compared it to Pearl Harbor. That was a comparison, right? Exactly. That that was is like you know tantamount to war. Basically. Yeah, it's like all right, we're getting all the boys together. Uh, mm-hmm. We're it's about to be a wartime economy. We're gonna kick ass. It wasn't. But that was weren't... the plan, though. That was kind of the the play, right? To get us into the you know into Iraq War was it two, right? Yeah. Iraq War Two, and yeah. we'll, 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 let's let's get to that because that's yeah, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole. A we're going bit. down. We'll <laughs> go down a rabbit hole, but yeah, it was never really we never really learned too much about that. Um, but yeah, I had no idea what you know at that time when I was a teenager, uh, middle school or going into high school. I don't know what the hell the difference was between Al Qaeda and the Muslim Brotherhood was. Right. Not I was a, like, not they're just, I don't know. Like, aren't they the same thing? Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Qaeda? Like, they're, are, are they the ones that wear funny hats? Like, that was right. kind of like my level of ignorance right? at that time. Or even worse was, like, the difference between Al-Qaeda and the mm. Taliban. You know, that was, like, synonymous with one another around that time. Oh, oh how when Tulsi Gabbard just shoved, <laughs> was it, Tim Tim Ryan into yeah. a locker on that? When he, <laughs> he said the Taliban did 9-11? Yeah, I mean, like, that was some shit that, like, you know, 12, 13-year-old me would have said, you know? But for a grown-ass man who was in And he served on uh, subcommittees. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's not—there was no excuse for him yeah, to be just, on the debate stage and say something yeah. that ridiculous. That's something that Trump would have said, but he would have brushed it off. He'd be like, yeah, I meant that. Like, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, same um, one. Same thing. Tomato, so, tomato, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tomato tomato all i know is that they're pissed off what are you saying you like 9-11 um <laughs> yeah so this guy is sent back to the u.s covered in duct tape yeah meanwhile oh, the fbi <laughs> discovered a, a vin number in the rubble of the explosion and it leads to the arrest of muhammad salome who had been, and take in mind, both these guys have been under FBI surveillance since 1989. Right. All and these had, guys they had been, it almost been caught like dozens of times too, like leading up to this too. They've almost been caught dozens of times leading up to this. Um, both of these guys were trained by Maha, uh, Ali Muhammad. Uh, these guys were on the list and they were able to, to uh, almost cause this, catastrophe in new york Mm. city so this idiot is arrested after demanding a refund (laughs) for his 400 dollar deposit for the writer truck that they use for the bomb like what a moron so for 400 dollars yeah for 400 dollars and um (laughs) they're both now this guy salome and um and Abu Lima, they're both charged as co-conspirators for the for the World Trade Center bombing. Right. So now later in June, Ali Muhammad, he's arrested in a – this is like a very weird thing. And we brushed on this last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Ali Muhammad's arrested in, in the Canadian airport for trying to help his associate, Assam Marzouk, Another who's terrorist. on a no-fly list, yeah. enter the United States. Right. He's smuggling in another terrorist. So not only is this guy on a no-fly list, but he's a Bin Laden bodyguard. Right. Who had smuggled with Ali Muhammad, who both smuggled Bin Laden in, into the Sudan. 
mm-hmm. when Sudan when, when when he when uh Bin Laden was basically kind of exiled. Um, Ali Muhammad tells, like after he's arrested, he tells the Royal Mounty Police to call his FBI handler, John Zent, and they let him go. John Zent's like, yeah, this guy's working for me. He's feeding me information on X, Y, or Z. Something about like these, um, like a, a, a drug operation in South America. I think that was the excuse. But yo, this before, guy. Before this you go on, I think it's it's worth like bringing up some backstory on Ali Muhammad and John Zent because these are two guys that we talk about kind of extensively in the last episode but that is worth like noting again here Ali Muhammad this dude was originally uh, like an Egyptian uh, uh, army guy right he gets uh, kicked out of the Egyptian army because he was too radical comes over to the United States becomes a United States citizen you know marrying some um, uh, American over here he lives in California he ends up enlisting in the United States Army, gets somehow accepted into a, an elite special forces uh, group uh, uh, in in um, the uh, the Kennedy uh, uh, Special Warfare's uh, uh, um, command. I think it was. I'm I'm forgetting. I don't have it right in front of me. Point is, it's a special forces uh, uh, thing. He's not really high ranking or anything like that, but manages to smuggle uh, top secret information about like the locations of like Navy SEALs and Green Berets and shit like that all over and, and Delta Force all over the world. Um, and then does a war game with uh, Egypt, which is which is taking place annually. And the Egyptians are like, yo, that guy Ali Muhammad is a radical. And he got sent home. This almost like upended the entire operation. And then from that point on, he just continually, he... He gets enlisted as an informant for the CIA to like embed himself in various terrorist organizations. And for this entire time leading up to this point in 1993, where he gets caught, you know, um, by the Canadian Mounties, he's just doing all this terrorist shit. Like he's training people, he's like doing all this shit. And the entire time, and this is why I wanted to talk about John, um, John Zent, who is his handler. This entire time, this guy, John Zent, he's in the middle of his own personal shit. Like, he, his daughter, his daughter's fiance, allegedly murdered his family, his mom, his dad, and his, like, siblings, to try and get an $8 million inheritance, and John Zent was apparently supposed to be the key alibi for him. So the whole time that he's supposed to be paying attention to Ali, uh, Ali Muhammad... A terrorist, arguably one of the you know more you know uh, uh, instrumental people that organized all this shit. While he's he's just he's not even paying attention to him because he's got this whole other set of drama and baggage going on in the background. Sorry, I needed to say that because that's one of my no, it's favorite it's, interesting stories about it's this. It's the most one of the most notorious uh, triple agents of all time, right? In American history, mm-hmm. he infiltrated not only the u.s military but uh u.s special forces and was a not only in egyptian islamic jihad uh al-qaeda but was also in the cia (laughs) and then later (laughs) al-qaeda yeah i think at the same time though yeah Um, but What's also interesting is that Ali Muhammad, he had confessed to John Zent earlier, uh, like a month prior. Yep. 
that Osama bin Laden ran an organization, and I just took this from the court case. Um, Osama bin Laden ran an organization called Al-Qaeda and was building an army which may be used to overthrow the Saudi government, that bin Laden was operating camps in the Sudan at which Ali Muhammad himself provided training and that he had given anti-hijacking and intelligence in Afghanistan to Assam Marzouk. The guy that he got caught with yeah, coming into got, Canada. Exactly. <laughs> However, the report's destroyed. Right, because when they went to go, like, when they went to go uh, interview them, they just, like, got rid of the evidence. It's just like, nope, bye. Yeah, it just sounds like garbage. <clears throat> like, I mean, I don't know the reason why. No, the um, reason why is because it's fucking embarrassing. Yeah. That's why. It's it's embarrassing that that we had this guy on the on the government payroll, you know, and he was doing all this shit. That's why. <laughs> it's embarrassing, and um, it's very it's very very hard to explain to uh, really to anyone who would ask questions. Now, he also fails a polygraph test, mm-hmm. but it is still released. Well, I mean, those are questionable, but still, it's like after all of those this are shit those are questionable, it, you know. But it's just like it's it's circumstance it's, right. it's circumstantial evidence, like it's right. just all of that it's compounding. on top of that yeah. is compounding mm-hmm. evidence. Mm-hmm. Like it's not mm-hmm. going to make or break a course. But the important thing about this is that this is the first time the U.S. government is given confirmation of the Al Qaeda syndicate, and that interview never found its way to investigators in New York during the World Trade Center bombing. Nope. So this is the first this is the this is the first documented evidence that there's a syndicate called Al Qaeda that exists that pulled off this this attack in New York City, killed six people, and the evidence was destroyed. It's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of part of this was, uh, if I'm if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, there was some some interesting like drama happening in the FBI around the same time, right? And that was uh, around uh, this guy um, Scarpa and um, uh, oh shit, I'm, I'm I'm losing the the guy's names already. There's so many of them to keep track of. Uh, the, the the TLDR version of the story is that there was uh, some mob guys uh, and there was uh, relationships between the FBI and these mob dudes that was, let's just say, not super kosher. Uh, and they were being investigated specifically for these things. And while they're trying to cover up for one fuck up, they also inadvertently block information from coming out for this particular stuff. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, some good context there. I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, perfect. It's important to document this evidence was destroyed. Now the FBI does connect that um, that KSM was involved. Uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who is one of the main architects of, of 9/11, according to the to a report, um, he KSM had wired money to Mohammed Salome back in 1992 from a, from a bank in, in Qatar. Mm-hmm. It also turns out, unironically, that KSM is Ramsey Youssef's uncle. 
Now, I'm bum, not exactly bum, sure. Bum. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure when that connection was made by the FBI. Because mm. it certainly didn't seem like they knew it back in 1993. Mm-hmm. I'm not like I don't know what when that was discovered. Like there was a like there was a blood relationship between KSM and Ramsey Youssef, but this to this day, like it took forever for them to link Ramsey Youssef to Al Qaeda, and this and here you go. This guy is a bl- is a blood uncle. It's too bad that twenty three and me didn't uh, exist around then, right? It's yeah, too bad, or genome predictions or whatever <laughs> the other one is. So. Ramsey Youssef is placed on the, you know, Interpol's most wanted list. And um, through their, the FBI's informant, they had an informant, Ahmad Salam, Salem, I forget, is it Salem Salem or Salem? Salem, Salem. I think some people call him Salem because it sounds a lot like Salome, who was the bad terrorist. And Salem is the guy who, uh, he's an Egyptian also, but he's the informant uh, who was working with, uh, Nancy Floyd uh, on basically um, inserting himself into this particular cell, you know, that, you know, uh, comprised of uh, Ali Muhammad's, you know, like disciples and shit like that. And, you know, he was instrumental in a whole lot of things. I won't give it all away because I think it's later uh, in this timeline. But uh, s- let's just put it this way Salem was really, he's really good at his job. <laughs> and uh, due to like office politics in the FBI, I don't think he was able to actually get it done. Well, he's through him. He's the one who discovered the, the follow up plot to the World Trade Center bombing. Right. So there there was a follow up plot and it was to plant a bomb at the U.N. George Washington Bridge, the Holland Tunnel, Lincoln Tunnel, and then the 26 Federal Plaza. Right. It's it's uh, the day of terror, right? And that, the FBI. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was I was gonna say like the whole business of him finding this out was pretty crazy, because you know Salem at the time was being handled by Nancy Floyd, who we'll talk more about as well. But you know, there's this other guy, Nancy Floyd's boss Dunbar, who basically had no background in 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 terrorism, and then got assigned this post it was like perfect example of toxic masculinity and just made everything fucking hard for them right so one example of this is salem had like legitimate reasons not to want to be uh like he didn't want to be a uh he didn't want to wear wire and he also didn't want to be uh to testify and the reason why is because he had legitimate reasons um uh, specifically that uh his family would have been in danger uh, if he was made, right? Uh, and at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of, even till today, there wasn't a whole lot of like Arabic speaking, you know, uh, um, assets in any of the intelligence agencies. I think uh, there's probably like less than a hundred, you know? Uh, so these, these like uh, uh, natural expats, you know, like Salem are perfect assets for, you know, anti-terrorism because you're able to in, uh, embed them directly into you know, uh, these cells. And, and so he was trying to play it safe and get real close to them, not wear a wire, not do all this stuff. So Dunbar comes on the scene and Dunbar is basically telling him like, yo, you got to wear a wire now. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. 
The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And also you'll have to testify. And he didn't like it, so he had to pull out at one point. But before he did that, like some of the crazy shit that they had to do was like, there was this one story on how they were going to wiretap them where Dunbar is like forcing him saying, you have to wiretap them. You have to get it going. And uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed asked Salem to like debug his house, like to do a sweep of the house to like find out if there were any FBI or CIA or anything like that bugs. And Salem calls up, you know, his handler Floyd and says like, yo, I need some equipment to, to do this sweep. And, uh, Dunbar is a cheap ass and doesn't want to pay like good money or give him like the good FBI shit. So they tell, they tell like the the uh, the handler and a couple of other people like go to a fucking Radio Shack and pick up some cheap stuff. Apparently they were riding around in this limousine for like an hour or two looking for you know like a device that would help uh, Salem do his job and like pretend to sweep the house uh, for Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And it ends up being that Salem just goes to uh, like a hardware store and buys the equipment himself out of his own pocket uh, because the F- because Dunbar was fucking cheap and didn't want to give him the stuff that he needed. Anyway, so he did this plan where <coughs> he put the settings on the um, on the on the machine to like basically go off for any reason, right? And he was like, "Oh, right here, there's a there's a bug right here, there's a bug right here," and he did it in such a way where he planned it out where it wouldn't go off in the kitchen. Right, and that's where he was gonna bug Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and then just to top it all off, the the actual device that that the FBI gave him to to like record Khalid Sheikh Mohammed in their plan so that they can do the raid to stop it was a fucking like 1950 style like briefcase with a recording device in it, and it had this little red light that would go on and off every now and again when they were tapping into it, and it was just like a just a whole fucking like nonsense nightmare but the point though is that he was able to get um enough information out of uh Khalid Sheikh Mohammed to foil this plan and just to go back to the plan again it was to bomb the UN the George Washington Bridge the Holland Tunnel the Lincoln Tunnel and a bunch of other places as well right and you know thanks to Danny don't be too hard on the FBI. They are fighting the war on drugs right now at oh, this yeah, time that's, period. That's right. yeah, they're they they're preoccupied. Busy. Yeah, they had their hands full. Mm-hmm. They had, they had, this is back in a day where you know um, counterterrorism wasn't the uh, top priority. It was uh, putting <laughs> it was uh, putting guys like uh, Freeway Ricky Ross behind jail <laughs> oh, in jail. Ross, um, not that Rick Ross. I know Henry. God. Um, but I mean, it does lead to the arrest of the eight people are arrested, right? Who are involved in a plot? It, they arrest Blind Sheik, right? And what's interesting is that when they when the FBI arrests Blind Sheik, um, they find a business card 
from Muhammad Jamal Khalifa, who's Bin Laden's brother-in-law. Uh-oh. Along There's the with, connection. Along with uh, 62 grand in cash. <laughs> and it turns out that Khalifa is funding militants worldwide using a charity in the Philippines as a front. Nuts. <laughs> and nice. take in mind this guy is also someone where who the CIA helped get a visa into the United States Jamal Khalifa I didn't know that that's interesting yeah and he was arrested two weeks later <laughs> after getting into the country <laughs> but uh, the CIA let him in let him in they helped him get a visa Bin Laden's he applied, fucking he, applied he applied um to a visa in Saudi Arabia and the CIA helped them out. So I'm, I don't know, man. There seems to be a connection here. There's a pattern. I mean, it's like a there's pattern a pa- of there's, like there's a pattern. Dumb shit. It's like, I know the government's stupid, but how dumb are this? <laughs> uh, so he's arrested. So he's arrested two weeks after getting into the country. Um, and you know, by ninety four. Um, and take in mind, we're skipping over a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, hard. <laughs> it's a lot of key things. Um, but in the spirit of time, by '94, Ramzi Youssef is is the world's most wanted terrorist. He's working out of the Philippines himself, and while he's in the Philippines, he conceives of of three plots. One is to kill Pope John Paul II on his uh, on his visit to Manila in January 1995. He wants to create a an undetectable liquid-based bomb to be smuggled on board 11 U.S. jumbo jets entering the U.S. from Asia. You know, he names this the, the Bojinka plot after mm-hmm. the... Big the, nose. After, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, the Serbo... Uh, Croatian term for big big nose and the last one which is interesting is that with um, th- this is like the origins of 9-11 so with Abdul Hakim Murad the pilot trained at four US flight schools Yusef will coordinate the training of Islamic pilots at US schools who will then commandeer airliners and fly them into buildings in America Right, and this is the same one of the same guys that was like hanging out with this Ali Muhammad cell, right? Same guys. So this is this is the this is nine eleven. This is the origins of nine eleven. The trained people in flight schools to fly into buildings. Mm-hmm. This is he's, where the, he's the progenitor of that. This is where the idea came from. So on Christmas Eve in ninety four there's a dress rehearsal for this and it takes place um it's by algerian terrorist they hijack an airbus and they attempt to fly it into the eiffel tower yeah they end up landing the plane because they have to refuel it i think Mm -hmm. and they end up in a standoff in the cops they kill a a couple of passengers but it doesn't go down the way it it happens in 95 so I'm reading right from this timeline right here. So on the night of January 6th, while mixing chemicals in his Dona Josefa bomb factory, is it Josefa or Josefa? Uh, Josefa, maybe? Yo, Josefa bomb factory. 
Yeah. Yusuf accidentally ignites a small fire that fills the room with smoke. The Manila police are called. Yusuf and Murad tell a rookie cop that they are just playing with firecrackers. He buys a store and leaves. All right, so stop right there. This guy is building a bomb, right, and planning the attack. And I believe, if I'm if I'm correct, this is the, supposed to be the attack against um, Pope John Paul II that they planned, right, uh, in in uh, in Manila. And he fucks it up. The cops come, and he just says, "Oh no, it's, we're we're all good. We were just playing with firecrackers," and they buy it, and they just leave, like utter facepalm. But when he reports the firecracker story, um, the his I guess superiors become his suspicious. Captain. Yeah, his captain gets suspicious, and they they end up confronting Murad, and they they escort him out of the you know they 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 try to escort him out of the lobby, and he takes off running. Right. Well, this is this is specifically uh, Murad, right? They yeah, they it's not catch Yusuf. they catch Murad, and then when he knows the jig is up, he tries to run. The lady, um, Captain Ada Fariscal, uh, the one that doesn't buy the firecracker story, who told everybody to go back and like check it out. Let's go check it out again. Uh, she actually ended up shooting at him. She missed, but like it caused him to like, trip and fall, and then they arrested him. Um, and then um, basically they try to bribe her with like $2,000 of like American Express checks, you know, uh, but it didn't work. Uh, and... She pressed to have, you know, to like go and see their room. Um, and I think uh, when they actually got to the room, they found uh, not only a bunch of money, but also pictures of Pope John Paul II and like, you know, chemicals for making bombs and shit. Uh, and also they got uh, Yusef, um, Yusef's laptop, which had um, a bunch of information on that. Um, but as you pointed out, they didn't catch Yusef. Yusef was across the street, and he watched the whole thing go down. Where he then joined his uncle, KSM. And um, both these guys are going to go down to plan the the 9-11 attacks. Right. So, Murad is taken to a... Camp Cream in Manila for questioning, and allegedly he's tortured... Oh, he's definitely but, tortured, for sure. Yeah, well, he most likely was tortured. And then he's handed over to, I guess, a, a, an expert, uh, but Colonel Mendoza, mm-hmm. Rodolfo Mendoza. And he gets him to confess the details of the World Trade Center bomber, bombing. And, you know, he, he admits the, the role in the, in, the, in, uh, in the role to bomb the poke right. in the Bochinka plots. Apparently, he... Threatened to, to hand him over to the Assad, not Assad, the Mossad. Two weeks later, he confesses to a plan to fly a plane into the CIA headquarters. In, in Virginia, right? In Virginia. And then finally, he admits to um, that there are Islamic terrorists who are currently in U.S. flight schools and their ultimate target is the the Pentagon, the CIA, the Sears Tower, and um, the World Trade Center. And the Transamerica Tower in San Francisco. And the Transamerica Tower, and I think a nuclear facility as well. Yep. So he 
confesses to this Filipino colonel that there's currently sleeper cells right now in the United States that are preparing, for, that are taking, that are in flight schools, getting ready to fly planes in the buildings. Mendoza, he turns this information over to the U.S. Embassy, and the FBI does acknowledge it in the secret memo. However, the memo doesn't mention anything about the training schools, the, the flight, training in the, the U.S. Schools, flight right. schools. Mm-hmm. So they just talk about the Pope, and they just talk about the. They just talk. They talk about everything else within the terror plot besides. The fact the that they're training they're, in U.S. flight schools, in the yeah. U.S., which is just, I don't, I just don't have really an explanation for that. I mean, you know, on the one hand, you could say, like, in the moment, you know, this information was obtained through torture, so perhaps giving them the benefit of the doubt, and I'm being very liberal with this right now, perhaps they had reason to believe that the connection to, you know, U.S. training in U.S. flight schools was you know, not credible. But the fact that they just left it out of the memo at all and didn't mention like, hey, you know, they also said that they were training in the U.S. in flight schools. We don't know if that's accurate or not, but, you know. I guess at the time it was like, oh, what, really? We're more concerned about the bombs that you're going to be smuggling on U.S. jumbo jets. Now, do you know anything about the, the liquid-based bombs that they that he they allegedly run to use? No, but like... Apparently, like, what's-his-face, Yusuf used one previously, right? So there was that one flight that he took back in 94. Uh, he was able to actually, this is an interesting story, he was able to take a, uh, like, forge, for, uh, he was able to falsify some documents to, like, pretend that he was um, an Italian government official, uh, Amaldo Fortani, I think his name was. And so what he, what he did, and this was part of his, like, testing, test run of, how to smuggle a bomb onto a plane, right? And he booked a flight from Manila to Cebu, uh, um, which had ongoing service to Japan, right? Uh, and apparently using some like, like not even crazy things, he was able to put together a bomb on the plane on the first leg of the flight, right? And so some of the things he used was like his Casio watch. I don't know if you, do you remember them talking about like Casio watches? And like not, you're not able to bring them on planes like a long time ago. Do you ever remember that? Those like special like Casio watches. Yeah, I do. It's like vaguely rem- reminiscent of that. So basically, I was, do vaguely remember that. So like he, he was able to use this watch to as a timer. It was like kind of like the the first smartwatches before there were smartwatches. He was able to use that as a timer, and then also uh, he used um, the specific chemical that you're asking about is a diluted nitroglycerin, right? And he just put it in a regular contact lens, bo- uh, like cleaner bottle. Um, and fucking Jerry rigged the shit together, put it underneath the seat in the in the uh, um, life in uh, life preserver. What do they call it? Life vest um, compartment of the of the seat that he was sitting in. And then he gets off at Cebu, and then the plane continues on to its you know trip to Japan. The timer goes off. The bomb works. It explodes. But all it does is it kills the passenger, the poor passenger that was sitting in that seat after him. Uh, and then the plane was forced to land um, in uh, Okinawa. Uh, so they made an emergency landing in Okinawa, Japan. Um, but that was like his proof of concept that you can bring 
specifically diluted nitroglycerin onto a plane in a contact lens bottle, like contact lens cleaner bottle case. Sorry, I just got distracted by a fly that's flying <laughs> around me right now, and I've been trying to grab it. But no, that's that's um, that's just totally insane. Now this is like where things get um, pretty crazy. And the FBI, take in mind, the FBI does admit that Ramsey Youssef wanted to return to the United States to bomb the World Trade Center a second time. Yep, I think it's very clear at this point. Mm-hmm. When you fast forward over to the day of terror trial, mm-hmm. so now we're not talking about. The, the plot stemming from the Philippines. We're talking about the plot uh, prior to bomb the New York City landmarks, the, the GW Bridge, the right. mm-hmm. the, the UN, uh, you know, the UN, like Lincoln and Holland Tunnel. Now, this is where things get really weird. When the daily, when the day of terror trial begins, Ali Muhammad is listed as a unindicted co-conspirator. Attorneys Andrew McCarthy and Patrick Fitzgerald, they convince him not to take the stand as a witness because they don't want to reveal that intelligence agencies were funding radical Islamists in Afghanistan. (laughs) Because, well, think about it like this. In the defense trial, the way that, the only way that you can, you know, you can put up a defense against this to say that, you know, uh, my client was a product of this um, CIA operation to radicalize Islamists to fight the Soviet Union. He's a product of, of U.S. intelligence. Right, like well, you trained him to do that, and that's why he did it, right? Exactly. Which is a fucking weak-ass argument, but I guess it's the only real argument you can make, you know? It's, it's the only real argument you can make. It's, it's a bitch-ass argument and he deserves I have absolutely uh, be jailed forever mm-hmm. however that would be the defense argument that would be the defense you know if you're like talking you know legal lawyer nonsense nonsense mm-hmm. you would say okay this guy is a product of his environment the CIA they went ahead and facilitated these operations they tried to radicalize uh, young Arab youths to fight the Soviet Union, and, and you know, they were in. They were in all over. They were in way over their head. Imagine if they start going back into Operation Cyclone mm-hmm. and start investigating the actual tactics the CIA was doing right. to radicalize young, like people to fight the Soviet Union, and spending millions like, of dollars on like children's books that are like crazy radical images and shit. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. spending money on putting money in programs to uh, radicalize children through Isla- Islamist textbooks that preach um, Sunni Salafism. That's not going to look good in court. No. And this is a very high profile court case. Right. And, and with what happens with the U.S. I'm not a lawyer, but like as I understand it, what happens with the U.S. court system, the U.S. court system is that like you have to prove you know, beyond a reasonable doubt that someone is like guilty, right? And like this will start this argument while it's not a it's not a good argument against, you know, um it's not a good argument to say, oh, you know, that it's it's fine. You killed people, no big deal. Like that that probably won't save you. 
But what it does is it introduces enough doubt into the motives where maybe he gets off with lighter sentencing, you know? And I guess the, the, the real threat is to that this thing is going to just blow the lid off of a lot of these covert Amer- operations that were taking place. Right. Because think about this. This is not so long after the Iran-Contra scandal. Right, right. And that was a fucking shit show by itself. I mean, that, I mean, it was basically Iran-Contra and Operation Cyclone are really similar um, in, in how they were operating. Uh, Iran-Contra was, was more illegal because they, the Congress passed a specific amendment, the Boland Amendment, to mm-hmm. uh, prohibit the funding of the Contras. Right. There was never an amendment to. There's no Boland Amendment the against the Mujahideen, you know? Yeah, there, I mean, that was kind of universally accepted. You know, there was a movie made about it. Like there was Rocky. Rock, yeah. Not Rocky 3, Rambo 3. Rambo, I keep yeah. on calling. I always, someone pointed this out to me. Um, There's like, stop calling Rocky Rambo. <laughs> And then I also made a huge mistake. I called, um, die not die lethal weapon die hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I call. I referenced a lethal weapon. I called. Said it was a die hard reference. I'm sorry for that. The biggest biggest errors I've made on this show. It's funny we get those wrong, but we can get like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed right, and we can get like um, Sheikh uh, uh, Rahman correct. You know. It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it shows it shows the level of dedication. We uh, we dive so deep into this in this investigative work that uh, we don't know normal pop culture. <laughs> we, get it, Chris, we get our wires crossed constantly. Yeah. But um, this is where you know I kind of you know between now and and um, like going to. September. So we're in the year 1995 right now. Um, we know that there's these people taking flight. We have been handed evidence that we've that there are um, Al Qaeda cells in flight schools, but all this evidence is regarded. It's disregarded. Where do you? How do you pick up the story from here? I mean. Shit. Well, like I feel like you have to kind of go back again, right? Because a lot of a lot of this is 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 like a product of these like series of missteps, and we're talking about like dozens and dozens of times where we could have prevented all of these things, you know. Um, and I think you know Salem the the uh, informant the Egyptian informant that was working with Nancy Floyd uh, the guy who stopped the uh, you know the day of terror uh, yeah I think he kind of points it out really well in, in you know and I'm paraphrasing here but he was saying you know something along the lines of like you know this is if you just let me do my job you know we would have been able to get it and I think there was just like constant negligence on the part of like both the the U.S. like fed um the investigators the the fbi the cia you know just like and and not all of them were connected initially but it was just like this collection of bullshit that just kept happening well one of the arguments for creating a national security state is that 
we need to have these intelligence agencies linking up with each other. Like there needs mm. to be one nexus rather than, you know, the FBI and the CIA having, you know, these separate, having separate intelligence and working independently. Like there has to be one national security state that works together right, to avoid, to avoid mistakes like this. That was one of the, that was the, the conclusion of the nine 11 commission. Right. It's like, all right, we just need like a better, we need better communications. We need better intelligence agencies. We need more money into our intelligence agencies, and we just need one national super system to, to keep track of everyone. You know what's you know what's fun with, what's funny about that is I was listening to the um, uh, just before the show I was listening to uh, the Scott Horton um, interview with uh, um, uh, with uh, Peter Peter. Oh shit! Give me the uh, the name again. Lance. Peter Lance. Thank you. Um, with Peter Lance, the guy who wrote, wrote this timeline, the triple cross timeline, and they were talking about how, like, as recently as like 2010, uh, the FBI hasn't had like a digitized system for cases, like a digital system. It's all been like paper, like analog and shit. So up to we we have all these people uh, during the 9/11 committee whose conclusion was. We need better. We need to put more money into the national security state to make them communicate better. And one of the projects was to like update and digitize their like case files so that you know field agents and shit like that could easily access information from the entire network, you know, and to be able to do their job better, right? So there's better communication on that front. Apparently, they invested like hundreds of millions of dollars into a system and it fucked up. And then they had to spend another hundreds of million dollars. On Lockheed, Lockheed came and tried and set them up with a new system. But like we're talking about two attempts to get it done, and they still fucked it up. But I guess you know, for all the libertarians out there that that uh, are listening, probably just more and more evidence as to what, what makes what Lockheed the, the most qualified vendor to do something like that. I don't fucking know. Don't like know. they make fucking airplanes. I mean, I imagine that they have an IT department. You know, they have an IT department, but <laughs> couldn't you find like or like what couldn't Oracle compete for that or maybe uh, Microsoft or one of the maybe you know thousands of tech companies, even Apple? Maybe. Couldn't they have competed for that? That is, how does Lockheed get because because they have the right clearance levels? It's like comes Pro- clearance probably because they have well we have a certification that allows us to deal with a certain level of clearance. So uh, we're able to handle these classified documents. We can't trust this with a vendor such as Oracle or, you know, a third-party vendor. Like, mm. I mean, these companies can get the same certifications, I'm sure, or whatever whatever clearance. Like, or they could just that, set it why up does where, they, have to where go the data gets automatically right? Lockheed like you, Martin. You can make the system and then just be like, okay, okay, cool. Just click this button and hit upload for all your documents. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know. But I can definitely see the risk in having a system like that. Like, yeah, totally. It could be as, hacked, as, right? It, it could that, be. Isn't that? Yeah. Isn't that what the the fear is that that system's not going to be used to arrest actual dangerous criminals? It's going to be used to against, like American you, citizens. yeah, <laughs> against exactly. you yeah, yeah. for for you for know whatever. Yeah. for taxes or something for not paying your taxes in time or right. you know something. A nonviolent crime that is should, does you really shouldn't be going to jail for. I mean, that's what it's going to be used for. Right. Well, I mean, you know, so it, I don't, I'm, I'm very suspicious about having a like a super intelligent like a national database. Yeah. That 
that has all of the case files for everything. Yeah, no, I get yeah. it. I get it. it. But but look, the, it's a tough fucking argument, right? Because like as we've been talking about this entire situation, right? It's like each of these, you know, this, whether it was the CIA, you know, uh, funding Mujahideen and understanding that that little pet project of theirs definitely went sour really quickly because it created all of these terrorist organizations that they ended up monitoring afterwards or whether it be domestically where the FBI is literally watching suspected terrorists and like you know has moles implanted in them and you know is literally getting so much evidence that they're about to do something but you know keeps fucking up at every single step of the way you know and neither of these, you know, uh, um, branches are, are really communicating with one another, or at least they're not doing so effectively. And they certainly not aren't weren't um, doing an effective job at communicating that to local law enforcement to help them along the way. And don't even get me started on international cooperation of, of intelligence, you know, like specifically with the Philippines and you know uh, the information that we got out of Manila um, from from uh, Mendoza, like. That bred the level of incompetence that led to attacks like 9-11. Like, those, that nonsense did it. And so when someone tells me, yeah, we should have one system where it's just like everyone can get all the data that they need to do their job, that makes sense to me. I totally hear your point, though. But, you know, it's like, Especially in the time, I don't think it was a database. I think it, it was the it was either it was either the internal politics that completely um, trying to think of the best word. I, I hear what you're saying, but but the, the internal that derailed any type of like real investigation and mm-hmm. and uh, and monitoring of these of these. Uh, these cells in the United States, or it was just willful, willful ignorance. But the thing like, about, the thing about the thing about the paper trail stuff, though, is like like analog is that it's super easy to destroy, right? So like I get it, office politics will definitely do some shit. But imagine you have office politics and then the ability to destroy evidence. I mean, if if you remember when we were talking about the handover, you know, uh, uh, from Manila to you know the United States of of you know, information that we had terrorists in our country that were training in flight schools, you know, um, it was fairly easy to, you know, doctor that information on paper, you know, and say, and not include the fact that people were training here. Or, you know, in the many other cases that just kind of, you know, where the evidence just kind of disappeared miraculously, like how um, uh, we just were saying this before, how um, Muhammad had admitted that um, Al Qaeda was creating an army and it was, you know, trying to overthrow the government of Saudi Arabia and also wants to come attack the World Trade Center, right? But that miraculously disappeared. The thing with digital is that, like, there would be a paper, tra- like, a digital paper trail, if you will, and you can see when people have entered things and when people have deleted things, and potentially you can recover those things. You know what I mean? It's just so much easier to just get rid of a paper document. It's almost like it'll be as if no, it never existed. And you can disregard the paper document as well, just like how when George Bush received a memo saying on August 6th, so less than a month before or a little bit more than a month, I'm, I'm bad up with math, mm-hmm. um, 
saying bin Laden determined to attack in the United States on August 6th. Right. So 35 days prior. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, he read it and he's like, oh, okay. Uh, sounds interesting. Let me know how that works out. <laughs> and then he just like ignored it. You know? I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches... April 9th. So what's interesting is that is is the the lack the lack of communication between the FBI and the CIA. Mm-hmm. So I pulled up this old New York Times article that was released right after the 9/11 the, the 9/11 congressional report and the title is called 9/11 Congressional report faults FBI CIA lapses. The September 11th attacks were preventable, but the plot went undetected because of communication lapses between the FBI and CIA, which failed to share intelligence related to two hijackers, a congressional report to be released on Thursday says. The report by a joint committee of House and Senate intelligence panels found that nearly two years before the attacks, the CIA knew about the terror connections between the two men, Khalid al-Midhar and uh, and Nawak al-Hazami, who in 2000 moved to San Diego, frequently Muslim circles that the federal, the FBI, had infiltrated. Some people who have seen the report said its central findings was that the Intelligence agency had shared its information that, and that if the FBI had used its informants more aggressively, the presence of Mr. Midhar and Mr. Al-Hazami in San Diego offered the best chance to unravel the September 11th plot. The report was described as a scathing critic of the two agencies in the months before the attacks, saying they failed to counter the threat from Al-Qaeda, even though they had known for years that its leader... Osama bin Laden was determined to attack the United States. Parts of the report have been disclosed by various news organizations in the past week. CIA officials did not alert the FBI or place the names of the two men on a watch list until August 2001, weeks before the attacks. No FBI informants, some of, some of whom had contact with the two, were altered that they may might have been belonged to al-Qaeda. Okay, so like the, the whole point of this is that the FBI had known about this for years, and if they were more aggressive with that information, they would have been able to stop this. And it wasn't, and because of this, the CIA didn't wasn't able to. Uh, actually, I got that backwards. Um, 
CIA, the CIA knew, knew about years, this, right? Knew for years and, and they didn't tell the FBI. Didn't tell the FBI, and the FBI had informants that they could have used more aggressively, right, uh, to figure it out, but they didn't. And it wasn't until uh, it wasn't until just like August two thousand one, days before thirty five days, as you said, uh, before nine eleven, um, that they were able to put these guys on a watch list. Well, that that August fourth, that's when the memo went to George Bush. Right. So that memo uh, went from the CIA to the FBI after the memo went to Bush. Mm. So not giving him much time at all. Mm-hmm. To do very much at all, yeah. And it wasn't just the lack. It, it wasn't just the CIA. So here's another article. The CIA was given data on hijacker long before 9-11. American investigators were given the first name and telephone number. This is from the New York Times. American investigators were given the first name and telephone number of the September 11th hijackers two and a half years before the attacks on New York and Washington. But the United States appears to have failed to pursue the lead aggressively, American and German officials say. In March 1999, German intelligence officials gave the CIA the first name and telephone numbers of Marwan al-Shahi and asked the Americans to track him. The name and phone number in the UAE had been obtained by the Germans by monitoring the telephone of Mohammed Haider Zamar, an Islamic militant in Hamburg who was closely linked to the important al-Qaeda plotters who ultimately masterminded the September 11th attacks, German officials said. After the Germans passed the information on to the CIA, they did not hear from the Americans about the matter until after September 11th, a senior German intelligence official said. There was no response at the time, the official said, after receiving the tip. The CIA decided that Marwan was probably an associate of Osama bin Laden, but never tracked him down, American officials say. So it's like after 9-11, they were like, hey, uh, German guys, uh, what was that you were saying about this dude again? <laughs> We kind of need that information now. And, and take in mind how many attacks that have happened between 1995 or just the World Trade Center bombing and 9-11. Like we're talking about an embassy bombing. Right. There was an embassy bombing. That, an FBI, that the FBI slash CIA double, triple agent was scouting and taking pictures. Ali Muhammad was involved in that. Bombing. He took the pictures. He brought them the pictures to uh, Bin Laden, and Bin Laden himself pointed like, "That's where I want the bomb to go." And guess what? Like a year later, the bomb went there and it exploded and killed people. So there was intelligence from other countries about this. Yep. And then there is the the complicity of other countries that may have been monitoring. <laughs> And not telling the U.S. about some of these agents or some of these Al-Qaeda cells. Um, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. The 28 pages um, of the joint inquiry into the 9-11 attacks, they were dismissed. They were treated as just whatever. Do you remember when that came out? No one was like, oh, the 28 pages are coming out. Right. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, whatever. Interesting, yeah, whatever. It's mm-hmm. interesting, which really makes no sense because it shows that the Saudi government, including top officials like like Prince Bandar bin Sultan, right. Bandar Bush, 
Bandar they call Bush. Him Band, they call him Bandar Bush because he's has a really close relationship with the Bush family. Right. They're they're like very they're very close friends. They financed and actively aided hijackers prior to 9-11. Mm-hmm. And Prince Bandar went on to become head of Saudi intelligence. Uh-oh. I don't know. Should we open this can of worms right now? Mm-hmm. Because it might just... This just might be another... Maybe. I feel like that could be its own topic in and of itself. <laughs> let's... Um, let's save this for another day. But yeah. they were... Basically... Saudi princes were funding 9-11 hijackers through using their wives as intermediaries. So their wives were doing it. Right. But they were giving money through their through their wives. And then the, the Mossad. So the, the people at 9-11, the people arrested for filming and celebrating 9-11 were Israelis connected to the Mossad. Mm-hmm. One of them had $4,700 in cash hidden in his sock. And they had foreign passports. And they were actively monitoring these guys as well. Does it, it obviously makes sense for them to monitor, to to tell people to um, it act. It makes sense for them to uh, to monitor Al Qaeda, but it's hard for me to believe that these agencies did not have prior knowledge of the attacks. Like I think it's very clear. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, man. At at best, it's just a series and of. Fuck we're ups. not nine. We're not. I'm not a nine eleven truther. No, it's it's you not know, about I, whether or not this was an inside job or not. I don't think that's a, like a question. What it's about is like how fucking stupid they were. I find that more interesting. I find that more damning. It'd be easier to think that 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 this was an inside job. You think that's the Occam's razor? Yeah, it, it be because <laughs> of how fucking in, but, stupid but they here, were. Here's you the know, thing. like here's the thing: it's not in. I don't. I don't think it's an inside job as right. in the United States attacked itself. Right. Exactly. Like that's. I think that that's is ridiculous. ridiculous. Like, so the thing about nine eleven truthers that I just don't. I've always been incredibly turned off from it. And, um, you know, I mean, my initial reaction to 9-11 truth has always been just like, you're an unpatriotic piece of shit. How dare you say that we did this to ourselves? I was right. okay. Right. That was like, that was always my initial reaction. Right. Now my reaction is like, you're really stu- like, how dumb are you? Do you, do you think that, why would they use, because the, the conspiracies get crazier and crazier. Right. Well, I mean, they the deeper from, you go, it like if you go deep enough, it starts talking about fucking lizard people and shit. So that's the territory that you go down when you when the you're missiles hit the Pentag- missiles hitting the Pentagon, denying that a plane was hijacked. Um, Saint hologram planes, mm-hmm. talking about bombs on every single floor, mm-hmm. and the obsession over Building Seven being a controlled demolition. Like, why? I don't understand why those were the obsessions on this. Right? Why was it not like, the obsession? The fact that we've known we had known about this for so long, or that we kept fucking up and could have stopped it several times before. Why wasn't the scandal that the it was that the people who did it were were. CIA operatives at at least one time or another. Right. Like they they were 
their origin story right. is that it was a CIA program. Right, and that's about as close as it gets for it being an like, inside job. You know what I mean? It, it's like we funded those people. We funded these people who eventually, eventually, at in the best case, turned on us. It was a double cross. Right, best case. Uh, but it's just nuts, and I don't blame truthers for for um coming to the conclusion that you know the u.s did this to have a pretext to get into the iraq war mm-hmm. because i mean dick cheney and company they might they might as well have i mean they took they definitely they took exploited it. it yeah they definitely sure. exploited the catastrophe uh-huh. to build the national security state and to mm-hmm. falsely link 9-11 to Iraq. And to, to, to create a pretext. basically shit on all of our civil liberties, too. Hello? Exactly. You know? Patriot so, I don't know. It just it just pisses me off beyond... I, I honestly think, like, it's... it's <laughs> The complicated story, the, the one of all of these ridiculous fuck-ups, and then all of the people who either capitalized on a fuck-up or you know, uh, exploited it or, you know, used it as a way to get, to go, to run free, you know, that story is way, way more fascinating to me. And I think should, uh, you know, as you point out, should be the, that should be the big news. That should be the thing that people talk about. I think, yeah, exactly. There, I mean, within this story alone between, um, Operation Cyclone and, um, just like the entire foreign policy of the 1980s mm-hmm. with creating these privateer armies. Right. Because that's, that's what they are. This, like, I, they're just, this was Iran-Contra 2.0, basically. You know? I mean, the, it was The consequences Iran. sucked, you know? But for us... Um, but, I mean, the story and, kind of started off the same way. Well, that... Ha- I mean, they both happened at the same time. Mm-hmm. This officially this started. They both pretty much started with the Carter administration, and then they were taken to a new level by the Reagan administration. Right, because it was um, Brzezinski who was the one who came up with the plan to bog the Soviets down into their own Vietnam-style war, and you know from then on, the CIA and Congress. They fully committed to arming and radicalizing the Muslim world to fight the Soviet Union. Because they thought that was better than the Soviet Union. The lessons, the lessons of 9-11 should be to never fund and arm a group from that part of the world ever again. And I totally just stole that from Dave Smith. I think he says that in like his intro or something. I mean, I'd, I'd go farther. But than it that was such a good never point. Fund and arm any group, any radical yeah. group. Period. Anywhere yeah. in the world, you know. Just, and we still do it to this day. Yep. Or at least we were doing it. I probably still are doing it well, right now. What about like the Operation Fast and Furious or whatever, where we're like selling fucking guns down, you know, in Mexico and shit. The, cartel 
I don't actually know too much about that. Yeah, we should probably think. We should probably learn about that. Let's let's do an episode on that. that, was, that Operation was Fat, one. Operation Fast and Furious. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, ignorant of what's going on in my own hemisphere. <laughs> All right. Is there anything that we should be adding to this? I mean, we skipped lots of shit, but honestly, I don't think that it's possible to, you know to go over this in even even in two episodes in, in any great detail and that's why and i think this is kind of like a little pet project of ours you know we're very interested in the topic you know um maybe in the future we'll, we'll come out with some more you know detailed stuff or maybe we'll isolate specific stories you know within this because i think each of these side stories that we get super excited about they can almost warrant their own episode you know so we'll we'll, we'll keep you guys informed on this you know hope you like the history um and uh yeah what do you want to say? Yeah, um, Danny and I had a conversation before this episode. We started airing this episode. Um, so the issue with this topic is that it's just like it's really impossible to do this without um, without spending a million out like fifty hours on just one episode because there's so many things that need to be that need to be compiled together. Um, so we're kind of not, you know, this is a hour and 20 minute podcast. So, you know, take that, you know, take what you're going to get from it and you know, obviously do your own research, but we're, we're planning on, um, we, we've been talking about, um, releasing some other, some more shows kind of outside bro history realm on this topic. We'll keep you posted on, on what the plan is. But yeah. Right, should we um should we are, are we ending this thing yeah i suppose so it's a good good point hashtag uh free britney okay um i actually have somebody who counters your your uh i was talking to my sister about the same topic and she told me to tell you that you're dead wrong about you oh bring her on the show <laughs> let's have a debate <laughs> you're dead you're dead you're dead wrong about britney spears so is she crazy is she like legit crazy according to your sister she's legitimately crazy <laughs> and hashtag free britney i don't come on the show i want to say what she exactly what she said because it was yeah, let's talk she said that she's obviously <laughs> insane she's obviously can't take care of her can't care of herself right uh-huh, now uh-huh and that she is, um, and <laughs> she was probably abused while she was in Disney, and lives in a perpetual child. Well, because well, she was in the was Mickey Mouse crew, Mickey Mouse Club, Mickey Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, she was probably abused when she was the Mickey Mouse Club and has <laughs> a perpetual childhood like Michael Jackson. <laughs> Uh, I mean, so yeah, those, those so are those are good points, but you know, uh, I'm happy to debate on this. This is, this is like a debate. stupid. This is like a stupid topic that I'm so interested in for no reason. I <laughs> I don't know. She doesn't seem like she's sane. I'll be I'll be completely transparent. Leave she, Brittany alone. Her rose project. <laughs> the evidence that she said that she was showing me like, did you see her rose project? And I was like, what's her rose project? And it's just like a picture after picture of her with a rose. Yeah, dude, you should like read. I mean, some of this it, shit gets into very like, weird. It's some very, of this shit gets weird. into like kind of conspiracy theory, but you should like, uh, <laughs> you should like see some of the like 
I think I mentioned this on the show before, but there was this one time where on Reddit or some shit like that, one of the users was like, yo, Brittany, if you're really in danger, you know, wear a yellow shirt on your next Instagram thing. And then her next Instagram picture, she's wearing a yellow shirt and she's got like yellow flowers and all this like mad yellow shit is like not a coincidence at all. Um, I don't know. It gets a little bit conspiracy theory-ish, but like I, I tend to fall on the side of like, Brittany is probably being taken advantage of. Probably. I don't know. Both both uh, huge mysteries. I don't know which one is more important, though. This or the you know, 9-11 thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Only <laughs> history will tell what will be taught in the, t- in the history book. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, hopefully you all enjoy this episode. Make sure that you rate and review the podcast. And... Um, yeah, rate and review the podcast. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to it. And we will see you next week. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.